been doing a series um, on um, the foundations of our Christian faith. We started this at the beginning of the year because in our society, in, a, in Australian society, it's a multicultural society at the moment, but it's predominantly Western in the way we think. And because we're predominantly Western in the way we think, there's a worldview, a paradigm that's come down to us from our uh, years of Westernism and schooling that has corroded and denied the foundations of our faith in the Word of God. And so that to be a fundamental Christian and believe that there is God in heaven who created the heavens and earth is a foreign thing in our society at the present time. We, we tend to believe in our society that uh, we all evolved from some accident in a, uh, in a pool some billions or millions of years ago and, um, and uh, that's how we got here. And our secular worldview is dominating, our politics is dominating everything and so that we now have got to be very politically correct. This whole shift took place around about in the 60s where we, uh, sorry, in the, in the 1700s when, when in the Western world we started to highlight reason as being more important than God for truth and empirical testing and, and science as being central to the whole issue of truth. You didn't really know truth until you could prove it to be true or you could somehow reason it to be true. We took God out of the centre of our lives back in the 1700s God was removed from it because that was primitive. It was old ways of thinking and we became enlightened people. So we removed the supernatural and we became naturalists. We became materialists. We became people who believed that there is only substance in this world. There is nothing spiritual. There is nothing really spiritual around. That's the West that we're talking about. Some of you come from cultures that never really went there. You came from a culture that stayed in that pre-modern phase where you believe that God was the giver of light and the giver of truth and you believe that you could have a knowledge of truth by knowing God. I believe that. I, I didn't get caught up in the, in the trap of the Western society, but our, our world is caught there now. Our Western society is caught there. It's caught in that mess. And all of those basic foundations of our theology, our ideas have been corroded. They've been taken away. They've been... Uh, moved about by a world that denies them. And so it's not, no wonder in our church today we have people who believe in, pre, uh, in, in the theistic evolution. They believe that we all evolved, like that we somehow, God had a hand in it somewhere along the way. They believe in a pre, uh, theistic evolution. We have people who believe uh, that there are no moral laws, that laws are, are just whatever you want them to be, you know. Whatever is right for you is right for you. Whatever is right for me is right for me. They have, they have broken down all of the boundary lines. They have pulled away all of the foundation stones. In the 60s, we, we saw the, the destruction of all of the moral codes in our society. You know, the, the hippie movement decided to just take away all of the moral boundaries, you know, Free love, free sex, everything's go for it. Whatever you want to do, drugs, rock and roll, whatever you want, just do it. Just do whatever you want. There are no rules. You can break any rule that's there. You can break any boundary that's there. That's what our society said in the 60s. 
You know the stats. You know I've told you the stats before. In the 60s, we we started. People started living together. Three percent of people started living together in the 60s, and that's slowly increased and increased every year. Cohabiting, living together, you know, without getting married in our Western society. I'm talking about getting married until 2012. About 90 percent of people lived together in an immoral relationship before getting married. And the reason they do that is they, they, well, we just want to try out before we actually consolidate this relationship. We don't try it out. If we don't like it, we'll move on. And the statistics have shown us that 93% of those marriages who cohabit beforehand with no commitment to each other, no commitment of longevity in a relationship, 93% of them, 77% 77% of them end in divorce, 16% of them end in separation. Only 7% of those relationships last for the duration of life. That's the statistic. Horrifying to think that through and to think about the, then the social destruction that's brought about by the breakdown of those moral laws, by the breakdown of those, those absences. It's just all over the place. So we, at the beginning of the year, have decided to start again to relay down those ideas of what we believe are Christian principles. We started, we talked about creation, we talked about theology, we talked about um, biology, we talked about economy, and we haven't talked about economy yet, we, we've talked about ethics, we talked about, um, last lesson we talked about uh, sociology, what is it like to be part of the, the body of Christ, the society of God. Today we're starting a subject on law, because in Christianity it's premised around law. The society used to be premised about, around law, it was the Westminster system was the idea of the, the Ten Commandments based uh, the, the, with the foundation of our common law. You know, our law was, it was called natural law. And, and the, the basis of a natural law theory, that if it wasn't natural, then it was against the law. So things like homosexual was considered not to be natural, so it was considered to be against the law. Those sort of things like, you know, murdering was not natural, so it was considered to be against the law. So those things were called to be natural law. Well, we became very smart in the West and in Australia in, in the 60s or 70s. We started, we changed that and we changed it to what's called positivism or uh, jurisprudence, they call it in the law situation, which is it really doesn't matter whether it's morally right or morally wrong any longer. It matters whether it's legal or illegal. So we can make something that's morally wrong legal and if it's legal, then it's okay because we've made it right because we've said it's right because we say it's not illegal. So it, there's no in our society, there's no morality in law any longer. The only thing in our society is whether we can prove it is legal or not. That's called jurisprudence. And what the idea is, is you get a jury in front of you, men and women in front of you, and you argue your point with them to get them to be convinced that what you're saying could be legal. Even if it's morally wrong, all you have to do is get them to say, well, that's legal and that's okay. Well, that's the law system that we have in our land today. It's not based upon natural law theory. It's based now upon positivism. It's based upon it. So what I want to do today is I want to start a theories and talk about law. But we're not going to talk about law, legal, and Ten Commandments and those sort of things because I think you are, if I asked you, what are the Ten Commandments? I know that you could tell me the Ten Commandments. All of you could tell me the Ten Commandments. Well, most of you could tell me the Ten Commandments off by heart. So I'm not going to go there and do that. But I want to talk to you about law and today about judgment. 
Because law and judgment go there. I'm not talking now about judgment as in the end you're going to go to hell or in the end you know somebody's going to be really mean. I'm talking about judgment, making judgments. Making judgments, being judgmental. Because law and judgmentalness sort of go together. You know, as soon as you've got a law, you've got a, you've got a, a statement of what's right and wrong. And then with that law or statement of what's right and wrong, you generally get people making judgments of, according to the law about what's right and wrong. And that's where you get judgmentalism coming through. So what I want to do today is I want to just talk to you about the Christian perspective of law, that there is an absolute right and an absolute wrong. We believe as Christians that there is an absolute right and an absolute wrong. The world says it's relative. There is no absolutes. Whatever you want to do is what you want to do. Whatever I want to do is what I want to do. There is no absolute right, no absolute wrong. Everything is relative. That's what our society says. The Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible says in Exodus 24 verse 12, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments I have written on them. So he actually gave the law to Moses, and that's the Ten Commandments. That's what we're familiar with. So there was an absolute right and an absolute wrong because God defined what the absolute right was and what the absolute wrong was. And in Psalm 7 verse 11, it tells us that God is a righteous judge, a God who expresses his wrath every day. That means he's looking out and he's seeing what is right and what's wrong, and he sees the wrong being done, and he's angry about the wrong being done every day. In fact, that's why Jesus died. Jesus came to earth to live here, to live a perfect life without sin, so he didn't break any of the laws. He was the only one who didn't break any of the laws. And God in his mercy said, I will punish my son for your breaking the laws, and I will cause him to die so that you can be free. His wrath then visited on his son, and he killed his own son in punishment for the things that you and I... And all we had to do is believe that Jesus was punished for our sins, and we could enter into a new life with God. So God's wrath was being revealed on Jesus and God's wrath is being revealed today on everything that is not right. So that's what the Bible tells us. Now, the character of God is the basis for judgment. What does that mean? It means that God in himself is light. And I think Schaefer says, not all the things are the same for God. Like, you know, God doesn't look at things and say, everything is the same. The Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness. When God shines his light, he defines what is dark and what is light. When he shines and says that something is wrong, it is wrong because he said it's wrong. His character defines the right and wrong. You don't define what's right. You think you do. You define what's right and right. It's right for me to do this or it's wrong for me to do this. No, 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 no. You can make those sort of decisions and fool yourself But in the end, the statement of what's right and what's wrong has been made. God has made the statement of what's right and what's wrong. He knows what's right and what's wrong. And he's already defined it. And he is light, and anything that is not light is darkness. In him there is no darkness, and because of who he is, he defines the difference between the light and the darkness. So it's his character. Now, this world's cry is tolerance and compromise. If you go to the the Bible, says in the in the last days they'll be crying peace and safety. Now you cannot well you can have safety on the work site and everything's about safe work practices. Now everywhere you go, everybody's looking about safe work practices. It's all peace and safety. But you can't have peace if you have people believing that there's a right and a wrong. You can't have peace because someone's going to be right and someone's going to be wrong. You can't really have peace unless everybody is tolerant and everybody compromises. 
It's an interesting little picture. That I, I chose that picture because those little symbols are religious symbols. The little blue ones is the, is the Star of David. The red cross is Christianity. And the, and the golden sickle is, is Muslim. And so this whole picture is saying, well, look, what we need in society now is to put the umbrella down, and st- open our hearts, and all be accepting and get, get together. Let's all these main religions get together and accept that, you know, we're all saying the same thing, you know. The Jewish God, God of Abraham is the same. God Allah of, of Muhammad is the same. God Jesus of Christianity. Let's all get together. Let's all, say, let's all be on the same track. So our society is saying to you, you know, why don't you just compromise? Let's everybody get off their right and wrong horse and, and just, do, just, just accept that we're all doing the same thing so then we can have peace in the world. Well, we can't really comply to that, friends. And the reason we can't comply is that because the world is asking us to do that. Now, Jesus said in John 15, 9, he says, if you were of the world, the world would love you. And the word love there is the word filio. It would feel warm towards you. If the world thinks we're great and, and, and they're feeling warm towards us, we're obviously in the wrong place. He says, because the world loves its own, yet because you are not of the world, and I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. It means it pursues you with hatred. It it detests you. Jesus said, you know, if you're going to follow me, this is going to be tough. This is is not going to be easy. This is what Brown was saying this morning. She's not saying that you're going to have to work for your salvation. She's saying that you're going to have to work in your salvation because it's going to be tough to do this. Everything will come against you. You will be hated for my name's sake, said Jesus. So we're living in this postmodern world. The postmodern world, what does it stand for? It stands for this, or there's an equality with ideas. Look, you have one idea, I have another idea. There really is no truth. It's all just opinions and all opinions are equal. That's what our society tells us. It says, so postmodern, this postmodernistic world says, what you think is really important is not. It's only important to you. But it's not really important in the scope of things. It's only important to you. He says, there's no God. There's no absolute law. There's no lawgiver. There's no truth. It's all opinion. And you have yours and I have mine. And so don't judge me. Doesn't the Bible say you shouldn't judge? And that's what we're told. Who are you to judge us? Your own Bible tells you you shouldn't judge. So we want to talk about judgment today and try and work this thing out because it's a bit puzzling, isn't it? How can we maintain to have a right and a wrong and yet at the same time not allowed to be judged according to the right and wrong? To me, it's a puzzle. I like puzzles. Do you like puzzles? Let's see if we can work this one out today. Yes, the Bible says not to judge. It deals with judgmental attitudes. Well, here are the scriptures that they're referring to. Judgmental attitudes. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. Judge not that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look... A plank is in your own eye, you hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That's pretty understandable. You're, common, that's, you're aware of that. You shouldn't look at your, another person and, and pick them to fault when you're doing the same things yourself. 
you know, you, you can get so high and mighty on your high and mighty horse and you point your finger at somebody else and in the end of the exercise, you do the same thing yourself. You're just hypocrite. This is Jesus' words. He told us not to judge. Okay, here's another one from Luke 6.37. Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. This is a nice line. People like this. You shouldn't judge. Just forgive us. And how many times should I forgive? Peter says, ask Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Seventy times seven. He says, seven times seven, that's, that's 49. No, no, 70 times seven. He says, no, without limit, Peter, you should forgive without limit. If somebody sins against you, you should keep on forgiving and keep on forgiving. And when they come back again to you and say, I did it again, they should forgive them again. Because that's how our God is with us. Ever forgiving, continuously forgiving. Always forgiving. This is where it talks about it. You see, if you go back to where the context was, in the Jewish context, Jesus is speaking these words to a Jewish audience. Now, the Jewish audience are quite proud because they have the law. They got given the law. You know, we are not like other people. We are Jews. It was on a sacred mountain. Then Moses went up there and God chiseled out the law and stone and gave it to Moses. We are the chosen people who received the law of God. We know what the law of God is. Who are you to look down at? You pagans. You Gentile dogs. We are the Jews. We got the law. So there's a superior attitude. There's a sense of smugness, a sense of superiority. So when Jesus is actually telling them, don't judge lest you be judged, he's addressing it to a people who are very, very self-righteous in themselves about who they are and what they've received from God. Paul in Romans chapter 2, verses 17 to 24, it says, the Jews and the law, it says, now, if you call yourself a Jew, and if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what he is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in, in the dark, an instructor to the foolish, a teacher to little children, because you have in the law embodiment of truth, uh, knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself, says Paul? It says, you who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonest the law by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you. So he really takes it to the Jews and says, you've you got a name that you are so righteous. But he says, the Gentiles look at you and say, you're righteous, you've got the law of God. Look what you're doing. Don't judge us. Look what you're doing. You tell us not to commit adultery. and look what you're doing. You're committing adultery. You tell us not to steal, but you steal from us. So Paul is really saying, you think that you're right because you got the law? You, you think you got it? He said, don't be so judgmental on others who don't have the law. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 53 and 54, this scripture highlights the attitude of the Pharisees when they came to Jesus. It says, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. See, they were looking to judge him. As Jesus was walking around, he says, judge not lest you be judged. And they're looking and they're looking to find everything. They're finding just what he, what's he going to say now. We can catch him. 
so we can judge him, so we can condemn him. And on it went. Jesus told him this parable, and you, you know this parable. He says, to some who are confident of their own righteousness, then look down on everybody else. There's that judgment aspect, looking down on other people because you think you're righteous. He says, some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told them this, this parable. Two men went up to the temple one to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, you've got to remember that tax collectors back there were not like tax collectors today. Tax collectors back then were the pits. They were the worst. They were the scum of the earth. If you were a Jew and a tax collector, you were an outcast. You were just the scum. You were the scum. And so when you have this picture, you have a, a Pharisee who is the political leader. He's the prime minister. And you have a tax collector. He's somebody from Woodridge. There's a bad place, Woodridge. You know what I mean? They had this... How many people live in Woodridge here? Put your hands up. And I live in Woodridge too. My heart's in Woodridge. <laughs> but that's the, that's the picture that they're trying to present. He said, the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. He didn't even pray to God. He prayed about himself. I, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers and evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. <laughs> oh, I'm so grateful. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all. It says, I, I, but the tax collector, he, could, he stood at a distance. He, he, he would not even look up to the heavens and he beat his breast and said to God, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And then Jesus said, I tell you that, that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The, the end of the exercise was that God is looking at the matter of the heart. And the Pharisee, though he knew the law, was arrogant in his heart. And the tax collector, though he was broken down with sin, was humble in his heart and pleading for God for mercy. And God says, I'll accept the tax collector any day rather than the self-righteous guy with the law. So when we're talking about law and we're talking about judgment, we're talking about judgmental attitudes. Jesus is addressing judgmental attitudes. Judgmental attitudes hurt. Words hurt. You know, uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, and the tongue of the wise brings healing. And Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know, the words that we use usually communicate something like blaming if you're judgmental. You're blaming. Certain people are bad, wicked, and villainous and need to be severely blamed and punished. You know, you're that sort of person. You come from that sort of nation. You come from that sort of area. You come from that sort of background. You're bad, wicked, and villainous and need to be severely blamed. Blaming words. Assign responsibility for fault or wrong. Accusing is an aggression or an expression of gesture or of tone indicating a belief of someone's guilt. Hurtful words like condemning words express complete disapproval, typically in public. So you get somebody who's condemning in public. You know, It's not enough that somebody says it to your face privately. Oh, no, no, this person stands up in front of everybody and makes you feel like you are nothing because they condemn you in front of everybody. That's condemning words. We have name-calling, which is abusive language or insults. Sometimes you can go back in your life and you can go back to times in your life where people said something to you and, you, and, and they are like 
a broken record. And you can go back and if you're really depressed, that words just go round and round your head. You're a complete loser. Somebody may have said it to you. Someone significant may have said it to you. Somebody you really loved and trusted might have said, you're just a fat pig. You know, I used to do a lot of work with blemics. You know, you know blemic? Blemic is a person who eats a lot of food and then puts their finger down their throat and vomits it all up. Mental illness. Sickness. We'd sit down and talk to them at the beginning of the counselling. We'd say to them, you know, can you talk to me about how you grew up in your teenage years? Nine times out of ten as you were going up, there was always, for the, if it was a girl, there was always a guy in the girl's life. A guy of significance. A guy who was communicating to them that they were precious and treasured and everything. And somewhere along that line, with that person who was communicating their worth, that person somehow changed and looked at their body and said something derogative about their body. You are a fat pig or something like that. And that lodged in their heads and it went round and round in their heads and then they started saying, how can I get out of that? How can I change that? How can I... How can I get his approval back i know what i'll do i'll stop eating i'll stop eating well, I, I like eating oh well i, I don't want to stop eating I, I, i'll eat more i'll get into a binge of eating oh I, I can't let this stay there i better purge myself purge myself with with um with laxatives i better purge myself by vomiting why and it's driven by what name calling locked in there you can go back in your mind you can go back through your thoughts you got those names that people have and you can remember things that you've said to people that left scars in their lives, that left marks in their lives, that you've said the words of your mouth have been judgmental, they has gone in there, bang. Usually start with you are. Every time you hear yourself say you are, you've got to pull yourself up and say, what are you saying? If you're saying you are a princess or you are beautiful, or that's okay. But if you're saying you are and it's derogatory, that's a judgment. You know, pull yourself up and think about that. And slander, the slander is the, the action of or, or crime, because it's a crime as well, of making a false spoken statement damaging a person's reputation. These are all judgmental words, hurtful words. This is what the Bible says about those sort of judgmental words. James chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it. You are sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So that's what it's talking about, the slander thing. The judgment, you should not slander. You should not have judgmental statements. It's not having a judgment whether something is right or wrong. It's being judgmental. You're not to be judgmental of others. That's what the scripture says. What else does it say? Isaiah says it in these words, in Isaiah 58, verses 9 to 10. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk. I like that. The pointing finger and malicious talk. Like, you know, you've got to stop doing the pointing finger and the malicious talk. He says, and if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. What a beautiful promise. I want that promise. He says, well, get rid of the judgmental attitudes. The pointing finger and the malicious talk. Get rid of it. James chapter 2, verses 12 to 13 says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Like God is going to actually look and judge and he, he's, 
think and remember that. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And then he says these beautiful words, mercy triumphs over judgment. It's better to be merciful than to be judgmental. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others or building others up according to their needs that you may benefit those who listen. So really thinking about the way you speak to people because judgmental attitudes is really wrong. Then Jesus says, be careful about making judgments before you get all of the information. I mean, one of the greatest things that we do in life is we, we jump so very quickly. We, we, it's like as soon as we see something, so it can be just a little bit of something, we immediately jump to a conclusion that something else is happening here. You know, It's like da-da-da-da-da. You jump to it. But maybe, maybe, maybe I was going to go da 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 yeah, but you jump to it, you see. We jump to it, you see, because we think we know what's coming or we think we know how it is. We jump too quickly. And Jesus says here in John... Oh, oh that was... Re- were we leaning on something there, Daniel, were we? Let's start again. <laughs> there we go. That, 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 that's it there. That one there, stay there. <laughs> I love it. Eh? That's what happens when you're sitting at the back and you go to sleep. <laughs> all right. Jesus warns, don't judge before you get all the information. We, we tend to do that. We tend to look and we, we don't get all the information. We jump so quickly. So jumping to judgment when you don't have all the information do we ever have all the information tell me are there any situations where you know absolutely everything about everything so that you can make a judgment can you really be sure Esther do you know everything about everything so that you can make a profound judgment about anything yeah, that's the problem. We, we are limited in our understanding. We are limited in what we know. I know that you're sitting here and I know that you're looking beautiful today and I know, but I don't know where you came from this morning and I don't know what happened at your place this morning. And I might say to you, you are a little angel this morning and Dad might say, well, you should have been at home this morning when she was, you know, she wasn't a little angel this morning or unless she was an angel from the other side. She was misbehaving and doing the wrong thing this morning. You think that she's an angel because you're making a judgment by appearances. You don't know all the information. You don't know what I know about Esther. You see, we don't ever know all the information. And you can have somebody sit there and they can look like, like Ray. They can look just like a saint. Like Ray, you sit there. But you know what? You can't see into Ray's mind. You don't know what he's thinking about. It may not be saintly. See, we don't know all the information, so we can't judge. And that's what Jesus says. Don't judge by appearances, but judge with the righteous judgment. And that's why he says, you know, if we don't know all the information, then how really can we make any judgment? You really don't know. And if you don't know, you really can't make any judgment. It's more righteous then to express grace than it is to find fault all the time. And are there topics that God says are just right off? The domain, you shouldn't even make a judgment about those things. They're mine, not yours to judge on. 
Here's some ideas with regard to jumping to judgment when, it, when you don't have all the information. Maybe slowing down and examining yourself is the first step for judging. Slow down, think about it. The Bible says in James chapter 1 verse 9, it says, 1 to 19, 9, chapter 1 verse 19, it says, Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, you say, oh, what's that got to do with judgment? Your anger is usually a direct result of your judgment. When things are not the way you very much like them to be, you're usually going to get very frustrated, and then it's when you're going to make a judgment. This is not right. It shouldn't be this way. Therefore, you are bad because you are doing this to me right now. So be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because anger is the result of your judgment. So it may be good if you're prone to be quick to judge, slow the whole process down, listen twice as long, and speak half as much. Another idea. Maybe explore the tension between truth and grace. You may be right in truth, but wrong in motive. Well, how can that be? Well, the Pharisees were right in truth, but wrong in motive. They were upholding the law and upholding the rule of law, but they were wrong in their motive. They thought that because they had the law, they could judge everybody else. And the motive was wrong. You can be right and you can be speaking the truth without love, which is not what you do. The truth is not a hammer that you can cut or a knife that you can cut somebody else's head off with. The truth is meant to heal them and, and to lift them. It may cut them by the Holy Spirit. It may cut them, but that's not your job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Your job is to obey the Holy Spirit. Speaking the truth in love is what we're asked to do. Just think about those things. But there is a place for righteous judgment in the house of God. And that's what you've got to remember. We may not be judgmental, but you cannot throw away judgment. We may not be allowed to be critical and judgmental of others. We may be required to be merciful and upholding and upbuilding of lives, but you cannot throw away your right to judgment. There is a place for judgment in the house of God. This is the word to judge. It says to separate, to put asunder, to pick out, to select. You've got to be able to do that in the word of God too. To separate. To separate between what's right and what's wrong in your own life. You've got to be able to discern what's right and what's wrong in your own life. You've got to be able to prove and esteem and prefer certain things. That's all judgment, to prove something. You know, I... I prefer porridge in the morning to the concoction that Graham would maybe mix up with seeds and yucky stuff, you know. That's what I would prefer, you know. That's a judgment. I, I have a right to those judgments. I can judge according to what I want to eat. If I don't want to eat that, I won't eat that. If I do want to eat that, I will eat that. Don't feed me slimy beans. I will not eat okra beans. You like okra beans? Okay. I... I, I accept that you're going to be different to me, but I won't make that judgment. Just tell me when you're having okra beans at your place and I won't be there. <laughs> to be of the opinion, to deem, to think, to be of the... You can have an opinion. You're, it's not sinful to have an opinion. To determine, to resolve, or to decree. They're all things that have to do with judgment. To judge is to pronounce an opinion concerning right and wrong. It's not wrong to do that. 
It's not wrong to pronounce an opinion with regard to right and wrong. If you're not defacing somebody and putting someone down, it's not wrong to say something is right and something is wrong. Our society will say, don't you give me your right and wrong rubbish. There is no right and wrong. But then our society is wrong. And I have a right to say our society is wrong. It's my right. <laughs> it's to be judged or summoned to a trial that one's case may be examined by a judge. So it has that idea of a legal judgment. B is to pronounce judgment or to subject to censure. And this is, I think, where we get it wrong. And this is why I put it in red, because this is probably what Jesus was saying when you, you shouldn't judge, you shouldn't censure somebody. Of those who act as part of judges or arbitrators in matters of common life or pass judgment on the deeds and words of others. They sit there, judge almighty, they're the judge of the whole world. You, you can't even talk to them. As soon as you start to talk to them, they, they're going to tell you where you're wrong. As soon as you start to talk to them, they're going to line you up with the five or six things that they've just picked out in the last statement that you just made, that it's not faithful, not this, not that, not that. You can't even speak to them on a normal basis before they've lined you up against the wall and shooting you whole, chung, 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 making all these judgments about you. They're the judge. You know, it's, you know, all I have to do is live and please this person. If I live and please this person, I shouldn't have to please God because they're worse than God. And people are like that. That's why I think Luke 18 verses 9 to 10 says, to some who are confident in their own right, and they look down on everybody else. Sometimes they elevate themselves by bringing you down. You know what makes me feel really good? When I can tell you how wrong you are. Then I feel really, really spiritual. You know, I told him. God doesn't look at it and say, you know, I'm really impressed with that. He just looks up your book and says, you what? Did you do that? You do the same thing. Who are you to judge your brother? To judge is to rule or to govern, to preside over with the power of giving judicial decision. This is all the, this is all the definitions in the, in the Hebrew for, and the Greek for judge. To condemn together as warriors, to dispute to, in a forensic sense, to go to law have a suit of law and scripture gives us the basis for righteous judgment and this is why I think we have a right to judge because the, the scripture says it gives you a base for righteous judgment here it is second Timothy chapter 3 16 to 17 it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine doctrine is teaching it's teaching doctrine is what you learn it's about life it's about what's right, what's wrong, it's about how things are. That's doctrine. Okay, so the scripture is good for doctrine and it's good for reproof. It's good for correction and for instruction in righteousness. For the, that the man of God or the woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every or all good works. So the scripture is given to us so that we can make good judgments about life, so that we can be fully furnished, thoroughly furnished, complete, just like God wants us to be. So righteous judgment, it's good for reproof. Now the word reproof means a proof, that by which a thing is proved or tested, a conviction. So you can, the word of God actually helps you to build your convictions. You can test something else. You know, you read the passage of scripture in Galatians, it says, do not be mocked. God, so God is not mocked. Do not be deceived. 
Whatever a person sows, that should a person that a person will reap. Now, okay, you've all heard that scripture. Your mother said to you when you're a little boy, "Your sins will find you out." You went into teenage years and you thought, "You know what? I can do things behind mum's back that she will never know about," and I did, and and no one will ever find out. But you know what? What she said is true. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap from the flesh destruction. If you sow to the spirit, you'll reap from the spirit life. You see, that's true. But you don't know that's true until you live a bit more life of life. And so when you get to Len's age, and Len's a very wise and learned man, he, he knows now that you know if you sow to the flesh, you reap from the flesh destruction. He knows that. He's proven that. That's his conviction. So he won't go there. He's not going to go there. Oh, he learned when he was a young man. Don't go there. Because you always reap something bad from that stuff. Don't go there. Some of the young ones don't know that yet. But you'll learn that. You'll, but the scripture will actually come to you and it will prove that to you. That's how it works. It will correct you. It will restore you to an upright position. So that... Where you were, if you've fallen somewhere in a, in a heap on the road because of your bad behavior and your bad thinking and your bad actions, it will come and it will help you say, no, if you do the right thing now, we'll fix it up. You know, if you repent and if you turn around and if you do the right thing before God, man, it will all be fixed up for you. And so you are corrected and you think, yeah, I was silly doing that. That was, that was just nonsense in my head. I don't know what got in my head that I wanted to go and do like that. You know, that was such a silly thing to do. I, I see that now, you know. I come to the light, you know, I'm corrected. I'm, I'm, I'm turning away from that now. I'm going to walk in the light now. From now on, I'm going to choose to do the right thing, you know. So you've had correction. The Word of God is corrected. You made a judgment. That's wrong. The Word of God showed you it was wrong. You felt the conviction of it was wrong. You turned towards the light and said, I want to do the right thing. You're making a judgment to do the right thing now. You, you've exercised judgment. Judgment is essential for a, for a believer. You have to have judgment. You must not be judgmental, but you must have judgment. Paul says, I pray in, in Philippians 1.9, I pray that your love will abound still more and more knowledge and depth of insight, that you may know what is best and be pure and blameless until the coming of Christ. He wants you to have love growing in you so much that you act and judge according to love and do the right thing every time. Judgment is essential. Yes, there's a place for judgment in the house of God. But there's no place for judgmentalism. But you have to have good and sound judgment in your life. The righteous judgment is for instruction. This is the meaning of the word instruction. The whole training and education of children which relates to the cultivation of mind and morals and employs for this purpose now commands and admonitions and now reproof and punishment. So what is it saying there? It says, it's the way you train a child, which you give them an instruction or a command. You know, look, until for my little kids, when they were going through high school, I said, you know, kids, going through high school, this is a great time in your life. You really have a lot of fun. School is for education, not for social things, you know. So um, one of the little rules that we have in the household is that when you get to school, don't think about having a boyfriend or think about having a girlfriend at school. 
because it's for education, not for relationship finding. I loved that, didn't I? Oh, it was okay because Nathan, you know, he just wasn't thinking that girls were anything but girls, you know, and yuck, germs. You know, he thought that for a long time. But those girls of mine, pretty things they are. And all the, all the boys that would come around, look at those pretty things. How are you? And they'd ring up on the phone. Is that the pretty things house there? Oh, yeah, I'm the pretty things father. <laughs> deet, deet, deet. What's that? Chuck going backwards. Oh, yeah, we had lots of fun because we put rules down, you know. We said, no, this is, this is what the rule is, you know. And the administration, well, my little daughter Renee come home and she's sporting a gold bracelet. Honestly, it looks very good. I said, where did you get that, darling? A gold bracelet? Did it fall from the sky? Maybe you dug in the earth and found it. Oh, God gave it with an angel coming from heaven and laid it around your wrist. It was something from... No, a boy at school gave it to you. A what? A what gave it to you? A boy at school? You know, boys? Yes. What was his name? So she told me his name. I said, he thinks he owns you now. Ah, oh, Dad, you just go off your rocker all the time. You don't know what's going on. I said, I know boys. I said, I was young once. I used to buy gold bracelets. It's the guy, buy gold bracelets, and I come to a girl and say, you want a gold bracelet? Put it on the wrist. Oh, yes. You're mine now. Yeah, my property, you got my signature on. See, it's my bracelet on her arm. Stay away. Oh, she didn't believe me. So I had one of my prophetic moments. You know the moments that dad becomes so entwined with the Spirit of God that he can tell the future? One of those moments. I said, sit down, child. Here's the prophecy. Thus saith the Lord tomorrow. He will express something to you that will show you that he thinks that you belong to him. And you will see that you will need to return the gold bracelet to its owner. The next day, she tells me the story. They were praying around the oval. So she's sitting down on the oval. And, And the boy comes over. He sits down beside her. And because she belongs to him, She's like a pillow. So if she's got her legs out, he can lay down and put her head, his head on her knees. Like your mind. So he does that. She sits there, he lays down and puts her head, his head on her knees. Like you're my pillow. And so she's got her hand there and she's looking at the bracelet, she's looking at the head. He thinks he owns me. And the words of her father came ringing in her ears. Give the bracelet back. <laughs> so she got out of it. Commands and admonitions. Reproof and punishment. It's all part of instruction. It's what God does to instruct us. And, and it's, the, it's where judgments are made. Why is dad such a bad, bad pain in the neck? Because he has some judgment, some wisdom from past. You know, he knows what young boys do with young, beautiful girls. He understands that sort of stuff. He understands, and because he knows that, he gives sound counsel and says, this is my judgment concerning this. This is what I want you to do. This is what I don't want you to do. I'm going to give you the sound counsel and judgment. Yes, there's a place for judgment, righteous judgment, but there's no place for judgmentalism. 
If I had said to Renee, you worthless little piece of not snot, you know, and I just, you are just such a little trollop, you know. You just, uh, you know, if I started, that's judgmental. There's no place in the kingdom of God for that sort of language. But with regard to judgment, absolutely. It is right for me to judge. And it's right for me to let her know what my judgment is. You understand the difference? In righteousness, we're meant to have righteous judgment and destruction. It's instruction in righteousness. The condition to be acceptable before God. I don't care what our society says. Well, everybody else has a boyfriend at school. Everybody else is doing that. Yeah, everybody else is, you know, taking drugs. Everybody else thinks that Friday night's the time you get drunk. Everybody else thinks that, you know, having fun is getting really wicked, you know. Everybody else thinks that that's okay. But it's not okay. It's not righteous. It's not pleasing to God. It's not pleasing to me. I'm one of God's people and it's not pleasing to me. It's not pleasing to God, so it's not right. Instruction in righteousness. Some fathers instruct their children about how to be unrighteous. Come here, son, I'll tell you how to win a chick. Come here and I'll teach you how to get laid. Ha, 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 ha. Seriously, they're more concerned about teaching their child how to be wicked and iniquitous than they are teaching them to be righteous before God. Righteous judgment. And for adults, it's integrity and virtue and purity of life and rightness. Beautiful virtues. Correctness of thinking and feeling and acting. That's judgment, according to the Word of God. Righteous judgment and immorality in the church. So here is there where it gets really sticky, and this is the part that we don't like. This is the part that we wish would all go away. Because we think, okay, it's right to be judged, but how far do we take the judgment? When does the judgment really hurt? Well, it hurts, you know, because when you have to make judgments about right or wrong, sometimes you have to make public judgments about what is right and wrong. And sometimes people don't agree with you in those judgments. In in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we had that incident where this young fellow was sleeping with his stepmother. Yeah, I know, yuck, big yuck. But that was what was going on in the church. And everybody in the church sort of turned a blind eye and said, I don't want to know about it. I know what he's doing. I just don't want to think about it. So everybody had ignored it. Paul heard about it. He says, what on earth do you think? What do you think that you can do this in front of God and keep doing this and not say anything about it? Something's going on in the church that's just wrong and you're not doing anything about it? Where is your judgment? And so he says to them, what business is it of mine to judge those outside? He says, he says are not, we are, you, you are not to judge those outside the church. God judges those outside. Your job is to judge those inside the church. So you don't sit outside on the street. and You, you don't look at the, the people who come out. Yeah, rotten person. You go to hell because you're doing the wicked things and you're cast. It's not your job to do that. That's God's job. He'll tell them by the Holy Spirit. He'll convict them of this sin, of judgment and of righteousness. That's not your job. Your job is to preach the truth. Your job is not to condemn the person on the street, but when it comes into the house of God and somebody in the house of God is being a hypocrite and not doing the right thing, you need to make a judgment about that. You just don't blow close. You say, oh, we go to church. We go to the church down the road. It's a nice church. Why is that? Because they let anybody do whatever they want and they say nothing about it. 
Well, we went out with their youth group last night, and boy, I got a... It was great. Fresh meat. Church is just a place for immorality. And no one says anything about it because you don't want to lose anybody from your church. What should happen is the pastor should stand up and say, you know, cut that out. Stop that now because that's not godly. That's what he says. God will judge those that expel the wicked man from among you. So he said, actually, kick the guy out of the church. Whoa. Whoa, that's a bit judgmental, isn't it? No, it's not really. Because God said that's what you should do. So that makes it right. So it's not judgmental, it's right. But how do you do that? Well, how do you do that? How does it get to that place? Well, Matt, Jesus actually laid it down for us and said, this is the way it goes. He says, first of all, if he's done something wrong, he says, you go to your brother who's sinned against you and you talk to him one-on-one. And if he listens to you, you've won him over. Hey, listen, Fred, you know, I heard that you went out there with these girls the other night and you were, you know, I heard that this thing took place, you know, and I just want to, look, man, this is, this is not right, you know. This is not holy. This is not what God wants us to do. If he says, you know, you and your ideas can just go up there. I'll be there at church and I'll do whatever. You're not going to tell me. So the youth leader or the pastor will go away. He says, okay, now I've got to call my elders together. So the elder, elder this one, the elder that one, come with me now. We go back there. We sit down and we say, now, buddy, there's three of us here now. We're going to beat this knot out of it. No, 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 no. We're here to tell you, you've got to stop this. You can't keep on doing this. This is wrong. And then the three of them listen to his retort. Now here he goes, Oh, you pack of sons. Who are you to tell me what to do? I'll do whatever I like. Don't you put your rules on me. You can't stop me. You You don't own me. You're not my dad. So the three of you now have heard this. He still hasn't changed. If he changes at that point because the three of you, he says, yeah, I was a bit silly and you've won your brother. But if he says, no, I don't care what you say, I'll still be around. So you've got a problem now. This guy's going to keep on coming to church and you're going to keep on doing the wrong thing. You've got every girl in the church now, he's prey. He's looking for it. And he's not going to be told by you because he doesn't even respect you. So it says, and if he doesn't listen to them, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Actually, put him outside the church. He shouldn't be there. Why would you let a fox in with your chickens? Why would you put a fox in with your chickens? Well, he's a right to be there. You can put a fox in with the chickens. They have a right to be where Foxes have rights to life. Yeah, they can have a life outside of my chicken house. You don't put a fox in with your chickens. You discern that he's a fox, put him outside the house so your chickens are kept safe. You understand the reasoning? That's scriptural. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's not judgmental. It's an act of love because it protects the chickens against the fox. So that's discipline in the church place for judgment what about if somebody's really divisive there's division you know this person goes here and says you know thomas and thomas says oh my goodness this is my heart you know my whole life this is my problem you know thomas he's a 
It's that bad. And then you get a problem with Thomas, and Thomas gets a problem with me, and I produce this schism in the church. Gossip, backward and fighting. All of a sudden, the place is starting to pull itself apart. He said, you've got to look at that. Say, somebody's producing this problem. Who is it? Oh, it's this person producing this problem. He says, now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. He says, you know, be careful. That this person's, put a mark on him. This guy's going to cause division. Don't tell him anything. Don't have much to do with him. Did that sound judgmental? No, it's not. It's about the good and the health of the body. When there's hypocrisy in the church, there's righteous judgment. It says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you've received from us. That means he's not doing what God says. He just He's playing the game. Church on Sunday smiles with you. And Monday, out with the boys, having a fun time, doing the wrong thing. Second Thessalonians 3.14 says, And if any man obey not our word, by the epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Does that sound judgmental to you? It's the exercise of judgment, but it's not judgmentalism. It's the right exercise of judgment. However, there are issues we can't judge on and we're not to be judging on. And those issues are clearly stated in the scripture. In Romans chapter 14, verses 1 to 8 says, it says, receive one who is weak in the faith and not to disputes over doubtful things. There are doubtful things in the body. There are things that we are not really sure of. You know, is Jesus coming tomorrow or the next day? I'm not really sure. Is he coming before the tribulation or after the tribulation? I'm not really sure. Is he pre-rapture or is there going to be a rapture? I'm not really sure. Is it, is it right to eat meat or not to eat meat? Well, I'm not really sure. Should I eat pork or not eat pork? Well, I'm not really sure. There are disputable matters about, you know, everybody's got a different... Is everybody got a free will or do, do we have no free will? Am I a Calvinist or am I a Mennonist? I'm not sure. There are lots and lots of doctrinal places where it's disputable. And where there's a disputable matter, you don't make any judgment on those issues because the Bible tells you you're not to judge anything there. It's the Sabbath day, Saturday, or is it the Sabbath day or the Sunday? What's your Sabbath day? Disputable. Well, you think you know it? Maybe my idea is different. And if it's different, what are you going to do with me then? You're going to tell me I'm wrong and I'm going to hell because I don't go to church on Saturday? Maybe I sat at home and rested on Saturday and I do my work on Sunday. Maybe my Sabbath is really the Sabbath day because I rest on the Sabbath. I don't work on the Sabbath. You know, Sunday is not like a rest day for me. Maybe my Sabbath is really the Saturday. You know, what are you going to do with somebody who has a different view? It says, for one believes that he may eat all things and he who is weak in his faith eats only vegetables. Let him who eats despise him who uh, let let not him who eats despise him who does not eat and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats for god has received him it says like god has received you both just don't make any judgments about whether you eat or don't eat who are you to judge your another man's servant to his own master he stands and falls indeed he will be made to stand for god is able to make him stand okay 
Let's bring it home into our place. But Graham, if I came, you came to my place and I fed you a bacon burger, would you eat it? No, he wouldn't eat it. Is it because he's weak in his faith? No. He's just decided that he doesn't want to eat bacon. No, I don't hold that against it. And I'm not actually going to argue with him for every point of, from Scripture about all foods being clean. I could, but I'm not going to. Because there's no point in that. All the more bacon for me. <laughs> no, seriously, in the end of the exercise, I love Graham and I respect his right to his opinion with regard to whether he eat bacon or not. If that's what he feels God is saying to him, God bless him. If he's disobedient to that, he's disobedient before God. He can agree with me and eat bacon and fall out of sorts with God. If God has told him not to eat bacon because it's nothing to do with the fact that bacon is pig, it has to do with the fact that bacon is not good for his heart, that's God's choice, not mine, and he would have listened to God, not me. Do you understand that? So on disputable things, you don't make judgment. You know, we get, in the old days, we used to chop each other's head off. What are you, a Calvinist? All right, I'm an Arminianist. You know, ah, take him out the back and chop his head off. Become a Calvinist. No, I'm an Arminianist. Oh, chunk. That's Christianity for you in the old days. Stupid. Stupid. Didn't read this passage. Romans chapter 14, verses 1 to 8 says in verse 5, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. He's saying, look, on disputable matters, you know, just be fully convinced in your own mind. Know what you believe. If you don't know what you believe, fine. Ask me and I'll see if I can convince you. But if you do know what you believe, fine. Keep it to yourself. I got mine. You got yours. You have the right to it. We don't need to judge each other with regard to this. He observes the day, observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day... To the Lord he does not observe. And that's talking about the Sabbath day. And he who eats, eats to the Lord and he and gives, uh, for he, he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For no one of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. It doesn't matter what you believe. You need to be gracious with one another and let each other on disputable matters have your own opinion. You understand that? We're talking about law and judgment. So if you want to be judgmental, you're not allowed to be judgmental. But you must maintain judgment. And Jesus says, this is the way you maintain judgment. He says, a good free tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. Just have a look. Is it good fruit or bad fruit? You can judge the nature of the tree, by the fruit. So if somebody comes to you and they say, I've got this new way of living, which is really... And you look at their life and their life is filled with bad fruit, bad character, bad attitudes, bad behavior. It probably isn't good what they're thinking. Their doctrine is probably off the wall. You can judge a tree by its fruit. Jesus says, a good man out of a good treasure in his heart brings forth good fruit. Uh, an evil man out of the evil treasure in his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, 
the mouth speaks. And in the end, friends, God is judge. If you can't make a judgment, just leave it up to God. All law brings judgment. All law enables you to make a judgment. But you must not be judgmental. You must be discerning. And in your discerning, you must be strong and stand up for what is right. God requires that of our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to live in sync with you on a daily basis. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you for the way you're changing our lives. Father, we understand that this world is calling us in so many different directions, but we know that your word teaches us there is one way. Lord, we know that broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to life and pure are those who find it. Your word told us that, Lord. Lord, we want to be found on that narrow way. Help us to be discerning. Help us to be exercising correct judgment. Help us to love you more than everything else we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.